This is the Podcast Express, and we're talking to whoever's listening out there. Welcome to Five Minutes of Trouble, the only podcast on the internet that discusses the John Carpenter film Big Trouble in Little China five minutes at a time. I'm Josh Horowitz from the Wing Kong Exchange. And I am your co-host and faithful passenger, Brett Stillo. And I am kind of tagging along on the back of the truck, Pete Mummert from the Indiana Jones Minute. Yes, Pete, welcome back. You are our first returning champion to awesome. Five Minutes of Trouble. Thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm excited. You, yeah. you are a guiding spirit. You are a mentor. <laughs> I think, don't want to embarrass you, but I think we have mentioned you on every episode since your appearance in episode three. <laughs> that's that is awesome. the influence you have. <laughs> There's always been something that's come up then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would like to announce we are changing the name of the show to <laughs> Five Mummers of Trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of like the low pan of the show. I just keep kind of popping up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, actually, no, you do. You're, you know, you're kind of actually, you're kind of like the Ark, or, um, oh. or Harry Line in the Third Man, because you're not always around, but we're always talking about you. <laughs> I like the Harry Line one. <laughs> yeah, you're Harry Line. <laughs> uh, sorts, but uh, I don't know. I, I'm already we're. Less than five minutes into it, I'm already tangenting. So, um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to be the low, if you want to be our low pan, you can be our low pan. And this is the episode to be low pan. So, absolutely, this is the episode to be low pan. Uh, we are in minutes 40 through 45 of Big Trouble in Little China. These minutes start with Jack on the receiving end of Rain's Nerf ball, and they end <laughs> with Jack and Wang wheeled into a round prison with skeletons. And this is going to be the minutes where we do introduce. Mr. David Lopan, uh, in his, I guess you would call it his human form, though the question is, you know, is, is he truly human or is he a ghost? And that's just his kind of old man ghost form. I guess we can, uh, we can talk about that a little bit when that comes up. Absolutely. But let's, let's go in order here. We're actually starting uh, back where we were from the last minute. We are in what the script describes as the hell of the river of ashes. And, and Rain is there and he's starting off with his Nerf ball blowing trick. And when, when I first saw this as a kid, I mean, I mentioned it's a Nerf ball. I mean, I, I grew up at a time when everybody had one of those little orange Nerf balls and they would, uh, you know, set up a little uh, basketball net over their yeah. doorway. You know, you just uh -huh. kind of throw it at that one. So when I saw this, I'm, I'm looking at those. And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's being hit with these sort of red Nerf ball things. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was probably your that's a good point. That was probably a joke that was a little more maybe, shall we say, relevant in 1986, because I, I also remember Super Balls which oh, yeah. I think have probably been taken off the market because, you know, they had toxic chemicals <laughs> in them or something like that. I guess that was the joke is, oh, look, it's a little, you know, Super Bowl or a clown nose. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it takes yeah. the out of Jack. Yeah, I kept thinking it was like those, you know, when you're a kid and you buy like my first magic kit and they have those red foam balls in them that you kind of stuff into that little, that one thing where you, you keep taking ball out of ball out. and so Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. But in the hands of a storm... It becomes, a, it becomes a device of torment. So which which hell is this? Is this the second we've seen or is this the first? I, I can't remember. This is, I mean, they've mentioned quite a few already. Uh, I mean, it's called in the script, the hell of the river of ashes. They never really uh, mention anything like that. You know, we've, we've, we've seen the hell of the upside down sinners. We've had the, uh -huh. the hell of boiling oil. Well, then, then there was the where the hell is, you know, what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? <laughs> uh, and then there's going to be a few more. I guess Lopan takes these hells very seriously, and so he sets up areas inside the Wing Kong to kind of look like these traditional hells. Well, I, I'm kind of working on a theory here. Um, do we know these aren't the actual hells? Oh, <laughs> like because I, I, you know, I, 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 I'm sort of interested in the religion and mythology behind all, like especially this, these five minutes. There's so much packed into these, but I, I know I think you mentioned on the show, even Josh, that there are like traditionally 18 Chinese hells. And when you look, I think it's called DU. And when you look at them in history, it's kind of they're described as a subterranean maze of chambers and rooms. And each, you know, each chamber and room is a different hell. Hmm. And it was sort of the portal between the, the life and the afterlife. And I'm, I'm wondering, is maybe the Wing Kong Exchange Building, is that actually the portal between the living world and the dead world? Huh. Ooh. But you know, and everybody was required to go. It wasn't. It wasn't like hell wasn't just for bad people. It was everybody who died had to go there to atone for what they did in this life before they could be reincarnated. 
Yeah, that's right. So, but you were talking about that before, how you have to sort of clock in and out. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Now, this is where we have to call Desmond Miller. Yeah, he was the one who was talking about <laughs> that. Our, our hmm. Chinese hell expert. So, <laughs> yeah, interesting. It maybe it is. I mean, there's certainly lots of magic stuff going on. Maybe the Wing Kong is a portal to the underworld. I mean, they they're literally going down in that elevator, mm-hmm. and who knows how how far down they're going. I mean, there's a couple of buttons, but maybe it's a portal. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting, yeah, because you know the fact that you know Jack and Wang are blindfolded often in this scene and the next it's you know because as i was reviewing the minutes i thought to myself why do you need to have that precaution <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you're around you're in a maze um yeah. unless it's just to add to their torment and confusion and anxiety of what's going to happen next and so much of this movie is about eyes you know like i was kind of joking about yeah. Lopan being hannibal chu from blade runner making the eyes but in reality there's so much in this movie that's about eyes you know, and even like from them wearing blindfolds to, you know, eyes pop up again and again and again and seeing and looking into things. I think it's interesting just how much of this movie is about eyes and seeing. That's true. You could probably put together a whole list of that. I mean, everything from green eyes to eventually we're going to get to the guardian who is nothing but eyes. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, the eyes have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, this could also be the, the hell of tormentors with great hair. Yes. <laughs> you know, I th- I think we've talked a little about Peter Kwong and uh I believe he's he had done some modeling. Um and that you know when he takes off his hat there it, it just shows. And he kind of yeah. like, like kind of does like a little you know uh hair conditioner hair hair shake so uh Yes, I I commented in my notes that this is his Pantene moment, complete with the chimes in the music soundtrack, yeah. That's I have that exact I have Pantene commercial in my notes. Yes. So, <laughs> that's awesome. Do they even make Pantene anymore? Is that still a thing? I think so. I, it was definitely in the 80s, that's for okay. sure. I remember yeah. those commercials. <laughs> listeners, listeners, please write in. We need to know. Pantene. Can can you still have a Pantene moment? If they're going to make a remake of it, are they going to have Pantene or are they going to have to go with, I don't know, Paul Mitchell or whatever is out there these days? Um, here's Now, here's a silly question. I, I think I know the answer, but is that Peter Kwan's real hair or is that a wig? That looks like it could be his hair. Yeah. I'm going to say that maybe he did have long hair at the time and maybe maybe he's got an extension like the hair mm-hmm. bun on top uh-huh. but uh, yeah that does look like his real hair. It's pretty spectacular mm-hmm. hair. It is. <laughs> if if he did have long hair like that you could see why they, you know, that that scene comes kind of comes out of nowhere when he takes the hat off. So it's like, "Hey, you know what we should do?" <laughs> yeah, and then he like and then they immediately cut it like he just ran to Macy's over at Union Square and bought this new suit, too, because he immediately yeah. cuts to he's got kind of his snappy new outfit on. That's right. Yeah. He's he's in his manager of the month, Western Garb. We were talking about that in the previous episode. That awesome suit with the red shirt and the, sti- the striped tie. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I can't I can't remember. Was he the manager of the month or was it? He, uh, he was, was it the thunder? manager of the month. No, no, it was rain. Yeah. OK. All right. I, <laughs> No offense to Rain. He earned it. You know, I, I looking over his product totals. Yeah, he's the manager of the month. So you, you get the sense that maybe there was a, a scene before that. It's it's a real sudden jump from Storm to business suit, but maybe that's the idea. It's just like, boom, hey, guess what? Yeah, no, uh, couldn't really. Yeah, looking at the script, it, it went from one to the next. But okay. yeah, it, it does seem like there should have been something there. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I just want it to be a longer movie. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah. And I, I guess I just, after that amazing hair shake scene, I want a scene of, of yeah. Peter Kong looking in a mirror, adjusting his tie, <laughs> and kind of like, yeah, 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 manager of the month right here. <laughs> and Storm. Uh, then we get the, the view of the cool-looking spiked door that opens automatically, and we uh, reveal the room with the golden Buddhas. And it's a perfectly centered shot. Uh, it's referred to in the Richter screenplay as the Hall of the Infernal Judge. And I see at least two dozen Buddhas down there. Uh, now, the question here is, how many Buddhas does that make in the film so far? Hmm. Good question. I have not been totaling my <laughs> Buddhas. I'm sorry. <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a tally? 
we're kind of thinking about the you know maybe there there should be a tally made because there's going to be quite a few Buddhas coming up that get destroyed. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, listeners, if if you if you know <laughs> if you have a chance to <laughs> yeah. count the Buddhas, please tell us on the on the, uh, the five minutes of trouble truck stop. Yeah. <laughs> maybe is there is there a, is there a prize we could offer? Is there something like you know you get a how how about a photograph of me and Pete Mummert in front of the Chinese fortune cookie factory, um, <laughs> or the or the Dragon Gates, just to show? Yeah, we do live in San Francisco, and there really is a Chinatown. It's not a set. Mm-hmm. Right, a what do you think? Of, a little bag of fortune cookies from the the fortune cookie factory. Oh, there you okay okay if you know whoever comes closest to the total. And you know this is, this is, gives you an opportunity to totally BS because we'd obviously don't know. Yeah, we'll we'll get you a bag of fortune cookies, <laughs> and we'll try to mail it to you by at least sometime in in 2017. There you go. You you heard it from Brett for the fortune yeah. cookies. Number of Buddhas. <laughs> the comment that I had next was that uh, Jack and Wang look remarkably dry. So I guess that the, <laughs> the the hell of the river of ashes. Either they had a blow dryer or it was pretty hot in there. <laughs> Yeah, the hot ashes. So you know, they know. You know, that's this is also you know a conceit of movies. How much time has passed? Yeah, you know, they, they, they could have had a nap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will be taking the little pan, but first nap time. <laughs> well, it's, there's more more going on with eyes here. Like, first of all, that door to this uh, corridor opens up automatically, like one of those electronic eyes. I'm, I'm assuming, oh. and then you know they get in there and. First of all, I don't think Jack's uh, blindfold is working very well because he's kind of looking around anyway. Hmm. Yeah. When they no wheel kidding. them in, and then like once they start getting ripped off, like Jack seems to see fine, and then a couple seconds later, he's like, he remembers, oh yeah, I got a wince. <laughs> <laughs> and then Wayne does that put... really hammy, like overacting wince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he he just had an eye exam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They just dilated <laughs> his his pupils. Oh. <laughs> And we get uh, Rain's only spoken line in the film come at this point, where uh, you know Jack says, "We know where the hell are we?" And he says, "You are nowhere." And that's it. Uh, he, he speaks a bit more in the screenplay, but uh, you know nothing, nothing too uh, too interesting, really. Well, to me, I, I had sort of an epiphany last night, and uh, to me, that line might be the linchpin of the whole movie. Hmm. So. Uh, well, keep that in mind. We'll we'll, we'll try to explore okay. that over the next okay. few All right, everybody, pay Where attention. Where are you going with this? <laughs> What's going on? Um, is he is he the first storm to talk? Uh, we had- yes, yes, he is at this point in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought. You know, I think they they've made there may be some grunts and groans. Definitely a lot of you know eye contact and but wheezes. Yeah, so- <laughs> wheezes yeah lots of wheezes mm-hmm. uh, but yeah this is this is a you know this scene in this room is where a lot of things come together we have you know of course once again great work by john j lloyd mm-hmm. uh great lighting by dean cundy you know mm-hmm. and we're gonna see in a moment we're gonna see some great uh makeup on a really great actor indeed yeah. indeed yes because the, <laughs> because those double doors open and here comes a little old basket case on wheels himself, Mr. David <laughs> Lopan. And uh, my, my first note is that it, it, it's interesting that he gets the modern electric wheelchair while Jack yeah. and Wang are riding along on these wooden relics from the turn of the century. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is, is that, I guess, I guess they're in the wheelchairs, A, because it's easier to wheel around. You know, they're easier to move them around. But is it also like, uh, you know, before Lopan, you must be in a wheelchair. Hmm. You know, it's like an equalizer. And then, but it's also, you're in an old wheelchair, you know? You know, I could almost picture <laughs> Lopan. You know, Look at my wheelchair. Your wheelchair is old and dumb. Mine, mine has a control. Look, it's a little joystick like on a video game. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that, that's a really good point, Brett. I, and come to think of it, I, I did kind of think of that at one point, that they are, in a sense, on equal levels. Even though he's in that yeah. wheelchair, so are they. But at yeah. the same time, yeah, not not as cool because they're on in the uh, you know the old style stuff. Yeah, but in a sense, you know, I like I, one question I have in these minutes um, is Lopan divine or is he not? And if he's divine somehow, is, do they have to like? Is this a ritual that they have to go through to be somehow on the same plane just in order to communicate with him? Good point. Hmm. Good point. And I think that's 
I think maybe that's something that perplexes Lopan himself. You know, am I divine? Am I not divine? Am I, you know, he seems a little confused. You know, he's going to he's going to start telling his side of the story. But, you know, is, you know, what exactly is he? Is he a ghost? Is he cursed? You know, what 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 exactly is his status in the supernatural world? <laughs> I think it's been perplexing him for what three thousand years he's been living this way. <laughs> yeah, no, very, very uh, enigmatic type of situation. <laughs> uh, but but before we we start to really delve into that, I I wanted to talk a little bit about actor James Hong who plays Lopan. Oh, because yeah. Uh, yeah, he he has quite a story. Uh, according to IMDb, he was born in 1929 in Minnesota to parents who emigrated from Hong Kong, and as a young man, he served in the U.S. Army and he would entertain soldiers while he was stationed in the U.S. during the Korean War. He's been in over 500 television and film roles since he began acting in the 1950s. Wow. Uh, he's done everything from dubbed voices of characters in the movie Godzilla, King of the Monsters, to appearances on the TV show Kung Fu, and a brief scene in the movie Airplane. I had to go back and watch that one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess when, when Ted Stryker is giving one of his sort of depressing monologues, uh, he's a Japanese soldier who commits harakiri. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh, he's got a great James little Hong? yeah wow yeah that's yeah, yeah it's a quick, he's got a great little role in gang. chinatown too yes yeah uh so i have other here uh lopan is probably his most famous role but he was also brett's favorite frozen eye manufacturer hannibal chu and blade runner and he uh-huh. was mrs mulray's butler in chinatown yeah yeah and then yeah. more recently he was the voice of mr ping in the animated film kung fu panda and its sequels and he continues to lend his voice talents for many animated films and TV shows. So there's yeah. James Hong for you. Yeah. Cool. He's still working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, he's, uh, let's see. Um, no, I can't recall when this one will air, but you know, November 11th. Actually, it's November 1st in Cerritos. He's going to be making, making right. an appearance uh, for a screening of Big Trouble in Little China. By, by the time this airs, this will already have happened. Uh, but I'm going to yeah. see if I can try to head down there and and uh, and meet James oh, cool. Hong in person. Oh, great. Uh, it'll be the second time I was actually able to meet him when he was at the Japanese American Museum for the screening with uh, Leah Chang and a bunch of the other uh, actors from the film. So, uh, But always cool. a, a great opportunity to, to meet the people in, involved in the film. And James Hong is you know, quite the legend. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a yeah. total legend. Yeah. You know, I, it's safe to say that all three of us are IMDb nuts. You might even say IMDb abusers. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I was looking at his credits, yeah, you know, I go to IMDb all the time. You know, it just keeps going and going and going. The man's had a career like that spanned, I think, some 60 plus years. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in everything and he's worked with everybody. And, uh, you know, it's a funny thing. Uh, you know, I have a great kind of affinity for character actors. And I, I, I kind of feel like they're, you know, they're sort of distant relatives who maybe live far away, but, you know, they're always kind of staying in touch with us through roles. And, you know, there are people we've never met who have, uh, you know, kind of impacted our life, you know, our whole lives with just like little roles here and there. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, James Hong's a great example. Hmm. You know, I've, I've been watching James Hong probably as long as I can remember. You know, I'm imagining in the 60s he was doing, you know, things like Mission Impossible or Man from Uncle or uh, don't think he did he ever do a Star Trek? Don't probably not. But yeah, but, you know, seriously, yeah, folks, look up James Hong on IMDb. Your jaw will drop. And man, it's just an amazing career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, many of the roles that he takes, he he is able to uh, really just change his character in his face and. And this role is certainly no exception. You, you have to admire the great makeup job that they did for him as the basket yeah. gets on wheels. I mean, he looks old and really, yeah. really old. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually going to be a book that's coming out. I believe it's like the, the arts or the, the making of Big Trouble in Little China. And I'm oh, sure cool. they're going to be including pictures of how the makeup process happened to get him to, to look so old. I had some, some pictures that I was able to acquire years ago. They were just black and white Xerox copies of the process that they used to uh, do the whole makeup sequence. And it, it looks like that probably must have taken hours and hours to look oh, yeah. on. Huh. Yeah. Probably, yeah. You figure a minimum of three hours. Yeah. You know, that, that's another thing, you know, the commitment, you know, getting up, you know, probably at three in the morning 
to be at the studio by four in the morning to sit in a makeup chair three, four, five, six hours. Mm. Um, and have we talked to, I guess this is really the first example we've had of, or a really like vivid example, detailed example of, of the makeup in mm-hmm. this movie. And who did the makeup? Who was the chief makeup director supervisor in this film? Oh, that's a good question. And uh, you caught me off guard. I did not <laughs> look that one. Oh, up. This, Hold on, let me wow. check. On. I'm gonna look here. Keep talking. I'll I'll take a look. <laughs> wow, wow, this is I, it's like his kryptonite. This is the first time. <laughs> wow, we Josh is we we stumped Josh for once. You're I, you're still the world's greatest living authority on this movie. <laughs> It looks like there was a, a three-person makeup department: Ken Chase, Steve Johnson, and Susan V. Kalinowski. Uh, yeah, makeup supervisor and special makeup effects. Steve Johnson. I've heard that name before. I think yeah. w- was it Steve Johnson who did some of the monster effects too, or am I thinking? I'll bet you. See. I'll bet you. I think he may and, have done know, it with Richard Edlund to try to do some of the characters. So it makes sense that he would do some of the makeup for Lopan just because he he oh, looks yeah. like a monster almost when he's doing this. Okay. Movie. Yeah. And yeah. probably, you know, possibly, you know, we're going to have some, um, you know, some puppetry, some audio animatronics in, uh, you know, in later scenes. So maybe that was his specialty, which was, you know, that was such a, you know, a big breakthrough in the 80s. You know, when you you had, you know, Rick Baker and like his, his you know, revolutionary werewolf transformation, an American werewolf in London, you know, and then also, uh, you know, the next year in the thing. I can't remember. Did Rick Baker do the makeup in the thing? Or was that a protege of Rick Baker? I, I'm not sure. I am looking up Steve Johnson a little bit more, and he did work on uh, American Werewolf in London. He was part of the special okay. makeups effects crew on that one. And yeah, he was part of the creature creator uh, crew at Boss Film Studios for Big Trouble in Little China, along with Richard Edlund. Yeah, that rings a bell that it was years ago. I think I read that um, it wasn't Rick Baker, but it was, yeah, it was one of his, you know, one of his assistants, one of his proteges who branched out on his own. So, yeah, in a sense, you have a little bit of Rick Baker's influence here. But, uh, you know, this is just a great old fashioned makeup movie, old, you know, practical effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. kudos, to Mr. Johnson. And with that makeup on, James Hong really plays it well. I mean, he's got the shaking hands going on, the crippled look. You know, it's a very convincing type of performance by by James Hong. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Is this is this thing where he kind of puts his palsied hand up to his ear, like he can't hear? Is that a put on, or is he? You think he really can't hear very well? <laughs> That's a good point. I feel almost like he's toying with them, like he's like he's putting on a little bit of an act, like to yeah, just kind of mess yeah. with them a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because it, it's the only time he does it. <laughs> yeah, and he seems and to hear just fine every other time. Yeah, that you know that's that's an interesting point, you know, because that's a that's a gag that you know, you see all the time, you know, it's not like a Carol Burnett, uh, Tim Conway thing, you know, the guy who's hard of hearing. Yeah. And, you know, and he, you know, you you half expect him like Jack's going to say something and Lopan's going to hear it differently. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's just the one time. And I think they were like, okay, let's keep moving. But <laughs> yeah, just to go with what you guys said, um, you know, it's, it's the makeup can take you so far, but it's also the performance, the, uh-huh. you know, the, just the frailty, that he uh, exhibits and, and portrays in the chair. I always thought that he looked really old and frail, but he, just the way he acts and stuff, you know, he's a lot sharper than he than he seems to be. And I thought that, the yeah. whole, eh, you know, that was just kind of to yeah. put them off guard. But, you know, later he's going to have some really f- snappy one-liners. Yeah. And but I thought this whole thing was kind of like, he's sort of a Yoda figure. You know, he's kind of tricking Luke. He's kind of tricking Jack. He's kind of pretending to be this decrepit old guy, but in reality, he's got a lot more power than he's letting on. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, you're right. There is a, with the makeup, there is a certain, you know, resemblance to Yoda. We're going to have to, we're going to have to do a side by side comparison, have a picture of Yoda and have a picture of Lopan. <laughs> I, I think it's, I think it's the hair, those little tiny, yeah, it's yes, the, little the wisps of hair mm-hmm. behind his ear. You know, it's like, <laughs> You just shave those. We just cut the top. <laughs> You're not fooling anybody. They're just gross looking. <laughs> when we get a, a nice music cue for his intro, uh, this is actually the low pan theme, and we're going to hear this cue uh, throughout the film, especially during the wedding part. Uh, good testament to uh, to John Carpenter and to Alan Howarth. Yeah. 
So Jack, uh, you know, Jack's reaction to this, you know, he seems totally perplexed. I, I guess he was expecting to meet the tall guy that he ran over with his truck and not this old guy with the wheelchair. And as such, he just seems to treat him with no respect, which is part of uh-huh. the hilarity of this whole scene. Yeah. 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 It it, it comes off as, as almost like a parody of the classic, you know, so we meet at last, you know, the two adversaries. <laughs> and oh, we're... Shall we do some verbal jousting first? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in a sense, I mean, this is this is one of Jack's cooler moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, he yeah, he kind of has. I don't th- I don't think it's it's an intentional like, aha, you know what? I'm going to just like kind of ignore him. But, you know, he's he's definitely got an edge on Lopan here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, are you crazy? Is that your problem? You know, that's one of his coolest moments. <laughs> You know, <laughs> but at the same time, Lopan is quick to put Jack in his place, you know, with this whole shut up, Mr. Burton. Yeah. yeah. So, so what does what does he mean? He says you're not brought on this world to get it. This is another question, another maybe instance where I think does Lopan have some kind of divinity because he seems to know why Jack Burton was brought on this earth. Like the hmm. way he says that. Hmm. Wow. It, I always took it as in, you know, you, you seem like you're, you know, you're so privileged and you think that you need to know everything, but no, you don't. But I, I do like yeah. that interpretation, though, that maybe maybe he does know more about why he is here. Wow. Well, I, it was cool. There's uh, Jonathan on the Facebook group had been sort of hypothesizing that maybe Jack also has some magical powers that he just doesn't necessarily know about it. Yeah. And this is one of those lines that makes me wonder, like, is there some credence to that? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there may there may be something, uh, you know, I can almost picture, you know, Lopan meditating or, you know, a demon appears before him and, you know, says, you know, you know, a, a champion will come to to try to slay you and he, he will have a mullet and come from Visalia. <laughs> and, uh, have great moccasins. <laughs> yeah. And just to make this weirder, like, you know, this this prophecy was uh given to Lopan like two thousand years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he will come from Visalia. Where is Visalia? <laughs> like, what what is this mullet you speak of? <laughs> mullet, what is a mullet? <laughs> you know, this this is really pissing me off. It makes no sense. <laughs> though though it is interesting. He Notice he doesn't talk to Wang at first. He talks to Jack. I mean, he will be talking to Wang yeah. later, but but Jack is the focus of uh, you know this mm-hmm. this joust this verbal jousting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe yeah, I think I think I think uh, Jonathan's on to something. I think there is. You know, I th- we were you know, and again, De- uh, Desmond was. We were debating this. You know, in some ways, Jack's a goofball, but you know. He he is kind of on a hero's quest of sorts. So yeah. Yeah, maybe he does. He is the chosen one. Hmm. The question is, who chose him to be the chosen one? <laughs> Egg Shen, maybe. A- Egg and Jack haven't had a scene together, other other than uh, you know in their cars. Yeah, yeah. the the one way. So yeah, part, Egg, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hold that thought, by the way. Hold that Hold, thought. Oh, no, oh. Yeah. Okay. We're we're going down there a little farther. Hopefully well, later. Uh, another note I have about this thing: all, all, pretty much all these lines that are spoken between Jack and and uh, Lopan, it's all pretty much written that way in the W.D. Richter script. The whole "Shut up, Mr. Burton," all of it. Uh, you know, it's it's got that snappy Richter uh, Richter sense. Yeah. And, and it was a these great, ex- great one-liners. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And it was a great experience when I had a chance to watch this uh, this scene in the theater. Because the audience was laughing at a lot of the different parts. It's it's just a, a different fun experience if you get a chance. I, I do recommend anybody who ever has a chance to see this film uh, with an audience on the big screen. It's, it's definitely worth it. You get a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So the first thing Jack asks about is his truck. And I'm wondering, <laughs> was, was that a ploy? Was he just trying to sort of throw him off guard and you know not intend to reveal the, the true purpose? But it's interesting because Lopan sees right through it. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, you're not looking for a truck. You're looking for a girl with green eyes. Mm-hmm. And then I'm I'm wondering, is he talking about, because he's talking to Jack. He's not talking to Wang yet. And is he talking about Wang and Miao Yin or is he talking about uh, Gracie? Like, is he talking about Jack is actually deep down looking for Gracie? Ah. Mm. Yeah. Never thought of that. But yes, could be. Hmm. 
Yeah, although although Lopan, we again we're, we don't want to get too far. You know what? Screw it. Let's just do the whole movie. <laughs> we're on a roll here, you guys. Let's just let's just do like try to set a record for the world's longest podcast, and just do the the remaining what like fifty five minutes. We can do this, <laughs> you know. But that said, um, I don't think Lopan has seen Gracie yet. At least now oh, that that's a good up. point. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Because yeah, I don't again not to not to be the spoiler. Uh, but you know, when he does, he will meet Gracie in a few minutes and, you know, I think there'll be a sort of, Oh, dragon green eyes, <laughs> but that's, that hasn't happened yet. That's the future. And this is the present. And unless this is an example of Lopan being able to see into the, like if he's yes. divine, yes. he's able to see. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he has a vision of, you know, some, just some girl with green eyes that Jack is after, but doesn't know exactly who it is. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, which might be why he's addressing Jack instead of, you know, weighing who he doesn't see as a worthy adversary yet. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this is just getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> yeah. But then he does, he does have like that, you know, I think this is a credit to James Hong. He has kind of a tender moment when he does finally address Wang. You know, he's sort of like, uh, you know, he could be, you know, Uncle Lopan. He's like, so tell me about the girl. You know, that, <laughs> that, that wonderful half-hearted attempt to be warm, like putting his, what would probably be a cold, clammy hand on Wang, yeah. on Wang's hand. It's like, you know, tell me, where, where's she from? Is she a local girl? You know, he, <laughs> there's, I think there is a little bit of sincerity, like whatever humanity is left in Lopan, mm -hmm. you know, he sees a fellow countryman. Yeah, he's uh -huh. very adversarial with Jack, mm -hmm. you know, you round-eyed devil you with the mullet. <laughs> Um, but then with Wang, it's like, yeah, you know, may, maybe that's, maybe that's one reason why at this point they're alive yeah. is, uh, you know, it's not cause of Jack. It's, it's okay. Hey, the kid. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's see what this is about. And, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe he does really want to let's just ask Wang, you know, what's she like? Where's she from? <laughs> what's her favorite well, color? I had a <laughs> bunch of questions about that. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I, I'm kind of a history nut, so I was I was really curious about some of the questions he asked. Like, first of all, when he said he's not going to waste another two thousand years, and I was curious, like, what was going on in China two thousand years ago when when Lopan was born, hmm. and that was when the Han Dynasty was um, cementing its rule over kind of a unified China. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the things the Han Dynasty did was move into the Hunan province um, and sort of start to take over. And who, one of the first things he asks is, is she from Hunan? Is she from Hunan province? Um, which will come up, uh, you know, a thousand years later, actually almost 2,000 years after that, there's something in the Hunan province called the Miao Rebellion, oh. where the people of the Hunan province rebel against the Han dynasty, which is what apparently Lopan would be a part of. Oh. So I think it's cool that there's so much history in this that you could tease out. But I, like, I think someone did their homework. Yeah, because then and yeah, you have meow meow yin, and like, is it is it spelled the same? Yeah, me, the meow rebellion is spelled exactly like meow yin. Oh. Interesting, oh. interesting. So, and meow is he's he suspects from the Hunan province. Yes, well, so. Richter certainly was doing a lot of homework when he was coming up with this script. I remember reading about that. You know, many different reference books of Chinese history and mythology. So that that's cool that there there is a an actual reference to some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's so you know, and it's it's like the Han Dynasty was also sort of in charge of opening up the Silk Road, or you know, they were the ones that sort of really opened it up with Western Asia and then on into Europe and Africa, and so it's like Lopan has actually been in the import export business for like two thousand years. <laughs> you know, like he's, it's no wonder <laughs> everything in this warehouse is so dusty. Like he's had this stuff for a long time. I could see in the Chinese on the side of the building it says you know like serving customers since 2000 bc <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> no that that's cool uh you know there's there's one thing i want to kind of talk about here uh, at the point in uh, in the scene where they talk about the girl with the green eyes the screenplay actually has an extra cut out little comedy bit with lopan and if you go back in these five minutes to about a minute in if you look carefully you notice that the picture on one of the monitors behind lopan is scrambled and uh -huh. in the yeah, yeah. in the cut scene, Lopan notices this before he starts talking to them about green eyes, and then he pounds on the monitor with his fist, and that fixes the picture. <laughs> and then at that point, he mutters Japanese. <laughs> and then Wang says, 
the girl. And then Lopan says, no, this foolish TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, there's a lot, you know, Lopan has a line coming up that, that uh, kind of echoes that or, you know, it, it same thematic uh, vibe. Um, you know, you, you, you get the, you get the sense that, you know, he's a supernatural supervillain, but he also, he's also a beleaguered CEO. <laughs> and, you know, you kind of see, you know, the inner workings of uh, the Wing Kong, you know, it's, it's just like any other corporation, you know, ah, crummy equipment, mm-hmm. you know, mismanagement, bad employees, you know, it's, and that's an interesting kind of tie into uh, Buckaroo Banzai and, you know, Yo-Yo Dine, another evil, yes. malevolent organization, but, you know, just run like any other company, like bureaucratic mm-hmm. mixed management and, you know, mm-hmm. bad coffee and bad coffee breaks. <laughs> and, you know, there's sort of this. And a lot of people named John. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> named John. I bet you if if, if W.D. Richter was, was, was with us right now, we could probably all talk, we could all joke about, you know, various evil organizations like Spectre and how, you know, they must have a, like a, a real lousy retirement plan and, <laughs> you know, you don't get vacations. The, the henchman you know. dental plan, not cutting it for them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that that's those two movies. There's a link there that, you know, the the evil nefarious organization is just as crummy as anybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a note here that. Jack uh, calls Lopan Dave for the first time here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. The whole casualness <laughs> between uh, Jack and Lopan is just great. You know, he says a line earlier. It's like, oh, you know, well, come on. Beggars can't be choosers. You know, all, uh, all yeah. this stuff. It's just hilarious. Uh, <laughs> He's over the top with the John Wayne thing in, the, in this sequence, too. Yeah. Like every one liner, he kind of has that. He, he does the twang. He does the kind of the squint. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is one of Jack's secret weapons. That with that swagger and that arrogance, when you're up against, you know, a, an evil supervillain adversary, he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, he's just not gonna, he's not gonna blink. You know, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe Lopan was being literal when he said, "You were not brought on this earth to get it." Maybe Jack's secret, like superpower, is that he doesn't get it, and therefore he's not intimidated because he just doesn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. I think it is, you know, ignorance can be armor. Yeah, his, his superpower is being monumentally naive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, there's 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 not believing in something, but then there's you know not knowing about something. So you know, and that's that's pretty much Jack. He doesn't know what's yeah. going on, but I think in some ways that works to his advantage. He can't be. He doesn't know who Lopan is, so he can't be afraid of him. Hmm. Yeah. And so he just, you know, who is this guy? What? Whatever. You know? <laughs> sure thing, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see you pull this off in Visalia. <laughs> and then for those of you guys who are doing the drinking game of Big Trouble Little China, you get to take a shot here because we're talking about the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? Yeah. <laughs> that that great extra line at the end there. Again, you know, another point for Lopan. Just just great performance by James Hong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, it it's that tone of the beleaguered boss. Do you get it now? <laughs> Very much like, you know, I need that report done by Friday or else it's the hell of being skinned alive. You, do you understand that? <laughs> yes. But I'm I'm curious what what uh because each one of the hells was you would go into the hell to sort of be purified and punished for specific actions that you did. So I wonder what, what it was that Jack did that once that had Lopan wanting to send him to this specific one at this point. Hmm. Well, he's wearing, or is he just being arbitrary? Cause he, yeah, well, he's, he's, he's wearing, uh, he's wearing moccasins, which are made from the skin <laughs> of a calf. So there, there's the, uh, the tie in, right? Skinned alive. I don't, I like know. I don't know. <laughs> it works. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, yeah. Pass. That, that has now become canon. <laughs> we're, you know, we're branding that into the leather, uh, the leather book. There it is. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> but uh, James Hong is able to just just turn on a turn on a dime when it comes to his acting. You know, he was <laughs> he was doing that, and then he he plays up the pathos when uh-huh. Lopan explains his situation and yeah. you know, he, you know, you almost feel sorry for the guy. I mean, you know, 2000 years, he's in this old man's crippled body. You yeah. Know, you, you almost feel, geez, that would, that would kind of suck. Yeah. And as I recall, doesn't he describe, you know, he's, he's a young man 
trapped in this body. Right. So it's it's having, yeah. you know, kind of having an awareness of who you are, who you were. But yeah, he's just been imprisoned in uh, in his own hell. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He gives a little bit of a biography about himself too. He says he's a young man, he's a king, and he's a warrior. Mm-hmm. So it, it, again, I guess back to the question. Is he divine? Because the emperor, the king in China, was always considered uh, a divinity. Hmm. And so he seems to be saying that he was a king at some point. Well, from what I was reading a a little bit on uh, the history of Lopan, that uh, apparently he was almost like a a false emperor. Like he he was trying to show that he was the emperor. And then Uh when the emperor was out or, or he was wounded in battle or something. And, and then when the real emperor came back, then he, he was really upset and, and that's why he was banished and cursed. If I'm reading it right. Yeah. Uh, So he was was a usurper. Yeah. You you could see him making a, you know, intrigue and okay. In a sense, trying to stage a coup and, (laughs) uh, you know, and when, you know, when the coup goes South, it ain't, it ain't never good. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it usually means, you know, a curse, mm-hmm. um, you know, being sent to a hell of not having a body or something like that. But then uh-huh. based, based on those lines, so I, I wonder, so is his normal form, I, I would assume, is is the, you know, the 10-foot-tall Roblox version of, of Lopan. So when he was cursed, was he then just thrown into this old man's body? It's not like he got older and aged like that over 2,000 years? <laughs> That's a good That's- question, yeah. Yeah, that's that. What's worse, yeah. uh, suddenly be you know suddenly being trapped in old man's body, or or just you know the yeah the hell of old age, and you know we are yeah we are looking at what I assume is not a hundred year old man, not a hundred one year old man, but a two thousand year old man. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm. You know he's again he ain't pretty to look at, folks. Sorry, <laughs> he's you know evil Yoda. <laughs> But I do love how Lopan constantly will call Jack Mr. Burton. He's very, I do. very formal yeah. about that. Never yeah, calls him yeah. Jack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I think it's a I think it's a nod to like your classic, you know, James Bond kind of encounter with yes. the soup. You know, there's always that politeness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't yeah. think there's ever been an adversary who's called him James or uh or Jim or anything like that. It's always Mr. Bond. It's always that formality. And so I think this is kind of a nod to, uh, you know, those kind of, again, these verbal sparring matches, uh-huh. uh, you know, so Mr. Bond, you know, so Mr. Patton, but then, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah Jack ain't playing that. <laughs> you know, he's not going to play the John- Sean Connery, Roger Moore thing. He's like, come on, <laughs> what is this? Really? Is also- that your thing, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I also thought it was that and the fact that if he comes from Roy, you know, if he was once royalty he also has sort of the court manners hmm. you know he knows he addresses people in a royal manner mm-hmm. Ooh, hmm. yeah yeah that's that's really interesting because yeah i think to to lopan yeah jack's a barbarian hmm. you know he he comes from you know he comes from the country mm-hmm. <laughs> he's an oaf he does not come from a family probably he probably does not come from a family of uh you know any any note or worth so uh-huh. And yet, yeah, like like we said earlier, he's he's sort of focused on the big tall guy with the mullet. There's something about him <laughs> mm-hmm. that Lopan uh-huh. is like, okay, you're you know, you're the guy. And then we get to the line. Uh, we get to the part where where he talks about how he's going to go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. And at first, you think that Jack is actually buying into all this. You think he gets it. He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're going to go and rule the universe from beyond the grave. And Lopan, in his giddiness, he, he thinks that finally, you know, Jack gets it and he lets out his indeed line. And the, in, the intonation yeah. of hearing that, this, this was the thing that, that got me to love this movie. Just that one line that, that James Hong says. Uh, uh-huh. I remember watching that in the hotel room so many years ago and was just rolling at that point. Me and my brother, <laughs> who we, were, we were both watching, we were just hearing that and it was like, oh. <laughs> but then the, the line that comes after that is great, too. Where Jack says, you know, he, you know, he doesn't believe it at that point. Oh, or check into a psycho ward, whichever comes first. <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, he's completely not going to play the game. You know, he's like, mm-hmm. he definitely has the upper hand here. You know, he's he's not good with a gun or with a knife, uh, but you know, in a verbal sparring match, yeah, he's just going to be, he's he's 
he's not even going to play the quip game. He's just going to say an aura cycle. It kind of takes the air out of your sails, you know? Uh-huh. And Lopan's scowl at that point is priceless. <laughs> yeah. And, and Wang talks about, uh, cause he's talking about, he's going to rule the universe. And then Wang brings up Ching Dai, the God of the East. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about, I was curious if that's a real thing. And I didn't find like a real Ching Dai, but there is a real Shang Di, which sounds almost like one could be a corruption of the other, who was the supreme deity in ancient China. And I thought it was interesting because if you look at the hierarchy of gods, there was Shang Di or perhaps Ching Dai, like Wang says at the very top. And right underneath him was the emperor, the king who was divine, which is perhaps Lo Pan. And then if you look a level below that, you've got the natural deities like rain and thunder. And it's cool because, like, if you do that, you kind of end up with the entire hierarchy of of the Wing Kong place here. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting. Yeah, it it probably is the same thing, you know, just a, a different way of pronouncing it, perhaps. Yeah, I don't. It's good. Cool. It's I just I'm I'm floored by how much research like they did when they ra- they made this because you can get so much out of every line. Hmm. Yeah, that's you know that's an interesting point because I was just talking to somebody. Uh, this week about a different film, but you know, if you have that, that root of fact of reality that you can, you can go off and, and, you know, create whatever you want. But if, as long as you have that some foundation in reality, it just makes a huge difference. If you, you know, I think, you know, if you're watching a movie and you're listening to the dialogue, sometimes you can get that sense of, Oh, they're just making this up. This isn't real. This is just, Uh You know, this is just BS, but, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, you know, you're watching, say a horror movie or a fantastic film and, you know, you, you know, at the heart of it, there is a reality or somebody, yeah, somebody has simply done their homework. So like you have a name that's a real, you know, deity or supernatural figure or whatever. And it just, it, it gives it that, that solid foundation. It really does make a difference. And I think like when you're involved in that project and you know, you know, Maybe in your notes you have that background, so you know it's not just, you know, a screenwriter who got really high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it does lend to the overall authenticity of the film, and I know that Carpenter, you know, he he made a point of trying to make sure that you know he was hiring a lot of these Asian and Asian American actors, and and that's this this wasn't mm-hmm. going to be your traditional sort of chop sake type film. You know, the, and it's good. It shows in the film, and in, you know, it was an admirable uh, yeah. effort, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think we said yeah, I think we've said it before, but it's worth saying again, you know, this is a movie, yeah, it's it's a comedy, it's fantastic, it's a fantasy, but there's a lot of authentic culture that's it's rooted in. And I think that's one thing that gives it such strength and, you know, makes it a movie that uh, a bunch of nerds are talking about every week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's a much richer world. It's a rich it's a giant real universe that you can yeah, you know, you can go beyond the movie and there's still something there. Yeah. And as you know, as, as Desmond said a couple of weeks ago, this was the movie that got him interested in Chinese mythology and the supernatural. And he's, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, he's he's really into like Chinese ghost stories and magic and all that. And I think, you know, that there's something to be said for a, a movie that's, you know, a fantasy, but it does inspire you to, you know, get interested in the real thing. I think, Pete, with you and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think that was your that was what really ignited your interest in uh, archaeology, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then just before we, we leave Lopan's domain, just one one final note about this. Uh, the two lines that we hear from uh, from Jack and, and Lopan, not in the script, I wonder if they were ad-libbed. And they're great lines where he just says, you know, 2,000 years and you can't find one broad to fit the bill. Come on, Dave, you must be doing something seriously wrong. Yeah, great line. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then Lopan later when he sees... Uh, on the monitors and says, this really pisses me off to no end. Yeah. It's great, yeah. great stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like he, it's, I kind of alluded to this earlier. It's like he breaks character. He's being very much, yeah. you know, the, the sinister supervillain, you know, he's, he's, and he's like a bond villain almost, but then he has this like beleaguered boss moment. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, like that other, that Jack's line, it's like he's calling him on, uh, you know, hey, the ship is not running quite the tight ship you pretend to, are you? You know, he's really, I think he, I think that's, 
you know, Jack has a way of, of just seeing Lopan's weaknesses hmm. and just kind of, you know, yeah. pointing out publicly. It's like, you know, hmm. you didn't and have Thompson to talk to him right at the beginning, like Lopan's yeah. backing out of the room and he's Jack's like, come on, stick around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he is a thorn in his side. Yes, he is. Uh, then we, we move back to the Wing Kong lobby and uh, we're at the point now when it looks like uh, Gracie, Eddie, and Margo are trying to get in. Uh, a bunch of really pulpy lines from Gracie threatening the guards with bad publicity <laughs> while Margo fumbles for her recorder. Uh-huh. I, think this, I think this answers a question our friend Tom Taylor had a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, what's the reporter character doing there? Well, so Gracie can say she's a reporter. And the pen is mightier than the sword. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's that's why she's that's why Margot's there, is to threaten the security guard. She <laughs> and I like it. It's the mightier than, mightier than your sword. Like he, she she makes it yeah. so personal. <laughs> yeah. And then as like an afterthought, she's like, uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I like even Margot seems to see that as like sort of a phallic line because as soon as Gracie says it, Margot like jerks her head and I was like, what? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then she starts looking for her pen to kind of back it up. So <laughs> that is why Margot's there, there for that go. one moment. That's her point. Uh, but then we get we get a laugh and we get Thunder with his uh, one of a few lines, but I can help you. Uh, complete with Count von Count cartoon thunderclap sound effect. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, once again, you know, Carter Wong and that that huge, crazy smile is. I just I just uh, love, that. you know, if you, yeah. have, you have one line and one close up in a movie, that's it. You know, he, he makes it. We're going to ask the cigar. He's 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 like a he's like a Chinese Schwarzenegger there. <laughs> he's looking very stylish in that suit, the neat haircut. Yeah. 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 Looking that good. So, shirt looks kind of like it's made out of a circus tent. I like that stripes. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question. Here's a question for you guys. Something I was thinking about. Are the storms, are they supernatural beings who have come down to the earth and taken on some kind of human form or are they wing kong employees who have become possessed and you know have taken on the powers of these storms because you know we at this point we've seen them um you know in their in their magical costumes Mm -hmm. as the storms and now we've seen we've seen both rain and uh thunder in really sharp business suits Hmm. And you know the the you know employee of the month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that <laughs> that's only got by that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are they you know like hmm. I can picture the scene where Lopan summons them and they come to Earth and they're looking around and you know you will do my bidding and you will also be in charge of shipment. <laughs> Here, this is this is called a suit and tie. Suit and tie. Okay. You know, or was it? You know, I, you know, he calls these three guys. Yeah. When you make, when you make employee of the month and it's like, I, I have a, I, you know, I'm going to reward you with uh, storm powers. You know, come to think so, of it, it, that, that may make a little bit more sense because if Lopan has been around for 2000 years, you know, he's probably had, you know, various needs of these storms and maybe they've come to bad ends, but then they reappear as different characters. Uh-huh. So may, maybe that. Yeah, it could be something yeah. there. Sure. Yeah. Hmm. And again, I think it's just, you know, Richter's look at, you know, the the inner workings of a nefarious evil organization, mm-hmm. you know, employee of the month. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, I guess that that helps. And, uh, you know, just that, you know, somebody has to clean up around here. And apparently somebody isn't doing a good job at cleaning up. Because <laughs> it does seem like the Wing Kong and, and Yo-Yo Dine are just filthy places to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then uh, we we get our last last little scene as part of these five minutes. We see Jack and Wang back in the wheelchairs, blindfolded, and they're they're wheeled up this long ramp into the skeleton room. So this was this was a scene that gave me an epiphany. Ah, so okay. This, this is so earlier I was saying when Rain says you are nowhere, and it kind of started triggering something is because Lopan talks about how he's kind of in a purgatory you know, between living and dead. And he's just kind of waiting until he can, uh, like basically find what the gods told him he needs in order to have a human life again. And then when you look at the idea of Chinese hell, it's someplace where you're, you're sent in order to atone for stuff in your life so you can be reborn. 
And here we have Jack and Wang being pushed up these old timey, you know, in these old timey wheelchairs up the ramp into another Chinese hell. Hmm. And it's as if Lopan is giving them the opportunity to atone for something in life and, and to be reborn. But what, what this made me suddenly think is, are Jack and Wang actually dead? Whoa. And if they died, <laughs> what happened? And so my, my theory now is that Jack and Wang died when they're driving up that alleyway and they crash head on into uh, Egg Shin's bus. <laughs> okay. And the reason, um, because before that point in the movie, everything is pretty straightforward. Like there's no magic, you know, unless you count Egg Shin's kind of sharper image thing, but that might also be Jack kind of imagining that to feel less guilty about killing Egg Shin. Hmm. And so yeah. but once, once that they, they, perhaps die that's when things start to get really weird it's like they immediately enter this sort of underworld where everything's kind of strange and magical and from that point on everything just gets weirder and weirder but the thing is jack and and wang never end up facing their punishment so they're never able to be reborn so what you've got is jack like spending the rest of eternity kind of wandering the earth like as his truck driver because he never like got his atonement he needed to be reborn wow Wow. Wow. Got an extra hour? Yeah. <laughs> you could say, yeah, you could say maybe Jack <laughs> has Lopan's curse. You know, you're going to, yeah, like as you just said, he's he's going to wander around in his truck for eternity. Mm -hmm. you know, he, he might end up uh, with no body and, you know, hmm. stuck as an old man uh, seeking flesh. But, you know, and then, yeah, meanwhile, in the next five minutes, this is where we see Wang slowly but surely take front and center as an action mm -hmm. hero. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about that. Up to yeah, up to this point, he's he's been a fun-loving sidekick, um, a slightly older, slightly taller uh, short round. But <laughs> once they get out of this chamber in the next five minutes, we see, yeah, that's a really good point, especially with Wang. I think you know Wang is reborn. This is the beginning of the new Wang, the reborn Wang, the true warrior. Hmm. Mind and spirit are as one. And, uh -huh. um, uh, yeah, I would, I would, I would maybe speculate that, uh, in the death trap, maybe they drowned. Yeah, that, that was, I was, I thought you were going to go there, Pete, that yeah, when, when they were in that elevator and it filled with water and they were uh -huh. crashing around that, that they did, they drowned. And then when they're in the room with the upside down sinners up there, that that was their afterlife. That, that, that's interesting too. That's another yeah. possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's still not like before they drown, there's still not a lot about this movie that's super magical or that yeah. seems like it might be supernatural. Hmm. Yeah. But you're right with the truck, you know, the truck crash, if, if they crashes into eggs bus, a, a wizard, a magician, um, and they're dead. Yeah, that's when they go in. You're right, Pete. That's when they go into the alley, and that's when things start to get bat blank crazy. Hmm. Uh -huh. Should I just say it so we get the air horn? Bat crazy. <laughs> bat crazy. <laughs> there we go, because we love that air horn. <laughs> and I don't think we've had a chance to use the air horn uh, yet. <laughs> Right. By the way, as a side thing, um, uh, Jerry did not break uh, the uh, the air horn record. I think that might have been Desmond and Audra. Uh, we wow. Can, we can go wow. back and count. You know, I mean, Jerry, Jerry's a close second, but I, I think it might have been like, you know, uh, Jerry and Tom's episode. I think we had maybe four to six air horns, and I think we had like eight or nine with, with Desmond and Audra. Again, Viewers, listeners, <laughs> count the air horns in these two episodes. I feel like maybe Jerry didn't bring his A game then. I'm a little disappointed. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it was it. I, 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 I would have to say maybe just Desmond and Audra. They just were, you know, they were ready to play. And, <laughs> they were, uh, they were channeling something. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, uh, that that is our five minutes of trouble for this week. Uh, thanks uh, very much, Pete, for for coming on. And, Thanks uh, for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, uh, and we're we're really excited to hear about the the next chapter in the Indiana Jones Minute Saga. When are you guys going to be starting up Temple of Doom? Uh, we have absolutely no idea. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're we're sort of hashing that out right now, but it's it's coming. I don't know how soon, but it, it'll be back soon. You know, before that happens, Pete, you and I have to take a short road trip. 
up to uh, in the Bay Area, there are a number of tiny locations. Uh, you know, ILM would go to a place in the Bay Area to do a pickup shot. And uh-huh. so, and Temple of Doom, there's no exception. The uh, uh, I I just blanked on uh, what's the the general in Temple of Doom, General Lao Che, Lao Che. His uh, you know his airline where it's based is is not too far from San Francisco. If we go up to north to Nevada, ah. uh, at the old Hamilton Air Force Base, that's where uh, that scene was filmed. So we we got to do a location, yeah, uh, expedition up there. Maybe we should do a, a big trouble meetup somewhere around too, like walk around, do a walking tour of Chinatown. Hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. That's that's the prize. Jack Chinatown. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that, that, that's one of the prizes. Um, when you do a correct answer, you'll get a picture of me and Pete uh, <laughs> at a at a big trouble in Little China uh, location. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> nice. Well, all right, guys, let me uh, just do the final things of business here. Uh, please visit us at fiveminutesoftrouble.com. You can check us out on Facebook at 5 Minutes of Trouble and join the 5 Minutes of Trouble truck stop to discuss this episode or any other things Big Trouble in Little China. We're also on Twitter at 5 Minutes Trouble. And we ask if you could please tell your friends about this podcast. Give us a nice rating on iTunes. I also wanted to thank our friends over at the Star Wars Minute and, of course, the Indiana Jones Minute. Two great podcasts. And uh, go and thank you. go and check them out. Uh, so that's that pretty much wraps it up. Any final thoughts, guys? Yeah. Pete, are you out. T- tired of being in the back seat? You want to drive? Tom got to drive. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm good. I, I, I like crawling around here on the back of the truck. <laughs> yeah, it's comfy back there. It's comfy. Okay. Well, you know, let us know if you want to. We pull over. We can go in, in and out burger or something. Yeah, like maybe that. toss me back one of those giant submarine sandwiches. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Here, hold on. Here you go. <laughs> well, what about you, Brett? You want to you wanna sign off for us this week? Oh, um, I, I wasn't ready. <laughs> um, I, I, I'd probably send us off the road. So no, I'm going to next week. I'll okay. hand it over to you for now because I don't know. I, I wasn't ready. All right. Well, I was born ready. And this is the Podcast Express signing off. Tune in next week for another five minutes of trouble. Five mummerts of trouble. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.